And we're back. I'm Gervier Brom here with Jamal Sandu, and we are screen off script. This week, we're getting into Gilmore Del Toro's Pinocchio and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. I want to tell you a story. It's a story you may think you know, but <laughs> you don't. Papa! <gasps> it speaks! He's just a puppet! No, I'm not. I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. I don't understand. Ah, we have found him, our star. Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio. Pinocchio! Papa! Enough of this nonsense. Hey, where are you going? You tell him I love him. And I won't be a burden anymore. In our first segment, we're going to be talking about all the movie and TV news of the week, but also we got our review for Pinocchio with spoilers. If you want to skip around, we got timestamps in the description. Gemma, first thing I kind of want to talk about, just to kind of have some continuity from our last episode, all right? Mm -hmm. We were talking about The Rock and Black Adam and how it seemed like it was a box office flop. Right. And then we got information that, no, 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 The Rock tweeted out that, look at this article, we actually made like $50, 75000000 million. Right. And then now apparently a report came out that some Warner Bros. execs think that The Rock and his team purposefully leaked a financial sheet with misleading stats to deadline to make it seem like Black Adam was a financial success. Isn't that wild? Isn't that so spicy? That is nuts. That also just says that there are people that are not on the same page mm-hmm. in terms of a working relationship. Yeah. But let's just look at it in two different ways. If it flopped, it flopped. Yeah. Right? If it made money, it didn't make that much money. Yeah. It's not as if you can say that was a box office smash hit, people are clamoring for a sequel, or anything of the nature. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because The Rock makes it seem like, listen, I'm here to save the DCEU. And it, mm-hmm. like, I think The Rock had this idea in his head that like, the world was going to be like Black Adam. You know, during COVID, when all these movies kind of got pushed back, yeah. what do we keep hearing? The hierarchy of power is about to change. Yeah. We keep hearing that over and over and over and over. Yeah. The movie comes out and they're like, eh. I feel kind of bad. Yeah. I feel kind of bad because like on one side, like obviously like we can get, I think feel like this is like a good way we could talk right about all the Black Adam news and mm-hmm. like everything, all the DC news essentially, right? And like, let's get into all of that because just to clear it up, just to kind of get an idea of what's been going on with DC as a recap for the past week, the chaos of it all. First off, obviously, Black Adam 2 was confirmed to be, like, unlikely to be happening. Uh, they also confirmed that Wonder Woman 3 is not moving forward. They confirmed that Man, in, Man of Steel 2 is up in the air. And Aquaman 2 could be Jason Momoa's swan song from DC as Aquaman. But there's also still rumors that he could become Lobo moving forward which, mm. which is interesting because he wanted to do that in the first place right so um before i get into all the minutiae and all the details of everything after the fact when you read just that initial news what were your initial thoughts when you heard that it just seems like everything's on course for a hard reset mm-hmm. and whatever's in the can will get released they'll make their money but it's hard for us to kind of get invested into these characters any further like most of them are still kind of Zack Snyder's you know iterations of the character for the for the most part mm-hmm. in terms of kind of what he started and what he kind of kicked off all the way uh, beginning with Man of Steel and his Superman and 
yeah, it's just this is the the pain the, the pains of a transitionary period with Warner Brothers and James Gunn and crew getting involved with the DCEU. They've got their own vision of what a 10-year plan is going to look like. My kind of biggest kind of like question slash concern is if we are headed towards kind of like a hard reset, you know, on the flip side, there are still a bunch of characters that are still, I guess, going to, James going to keep because he's made some movies and he's made some content there. Like, are we going to get a new Harley Quinn? So it's kind of like, it's a weird one, right? It's like, who who are we going to like reset and start from scratch with? But are we still going to carry over with some baggage? Yeah. So it's like, uh, for me, it's like either you go all the way with a hard reset or you don't. I think the, the murkiness will be in that kind of gray area in yeah. terms of, oh, we're going we're gonna to keep some of our favorites and some of the actors that we like and the stuff that, you know, we've got our fingerprints on and we're going to d- delete everything else. Yeah, it's interesting because it isn't a hard reset, it seems like. And it is more like a bit of a wishy-washy make, make makeshift whatever you want to continue yeah that's pretty much what they're doing and and i find that interesting because on one side i understand like the warner Bros side of it because if they just went like all right cool we brought in james gunn uh to completely reset everything guys get excited for the future they already have these other movies in the bank because of covid you have to release them and you're probably going to end up making some money from them but either way if you're doing like a reset uh, of, of everything then the the problem really for me it becomes that going forward you're still holding on you have to like almost present these movies that we had from before as still viable for them to make money you mm. know what i mean like they've been through hell and back for this flash movie either you're gonna shelf it or and like to be honest like doesn't it seem kind of crazy like at this point they could have just shelved the flash movie yeah and that would have been a big l financially but in the long run and like whatever this like PR disaster with Ezra Miller probably would have went away as well. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to think that they had times when they could have made different moves, but now they like have to go into that Flash movie. The Flash movie is still very interesting to me because it's the Flashpoint story. Mm-hmm. So who knows if they could even kind of revisit that or figure out a way to maybe do some extra shooting there because that could be a fantastic catalyst in terms of a reset but also keeping what you want to keep because yeah. in the flashpoint story it's about time travel it's about alternate universes parallel universes it's about changing things and, and all that kind of stuff right yeah but at the same time it's like going back to my question what do you keep what don't you keep one of the other stories that i heard was you know obviously we know that michael keaton is coming back to portray batman in the flash movie and the idea was to for him to stick around and then do the Batman Beyond yeah, that was story. A, that was the story I was going to talk about, yeah. Which would have been wild to see, but that's all got now canned as well. Now all canned as well, yeah, just to mention. So that was going to be, uh, Michael Keaton's movie was going to be Batman Beyond, and that was going to feature a romance between Michael Keaton's Batman and Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, which would have been interesting to see this far away from what we, like, you know, what they played originally in the 90s. Mm. And uh, also an interesting thing, like an older romance in a comic book movie, which we really haven't seen that much of in general anyway. We still haven't really got the old, older Batman. Yeah, exactly. This you know? would have been like a cool thing to get, but also it's interesting because all this stuff that they had planned for like this side of the DCEU and this side of Batman, it was all planned around people that are all gone. Yeah. So it feels like, yeah, I get it. Like this stuff has to go away because whoever was going to follow this stuff through isn't there anymore. It is I'll, what it is. I'll say this. I felt, I feel like, and I've always felt this way, whoever was going to step into this role to kind of, you know, carry the DCEU foot was always going to have an incredible amount of pressure on their shoulders yeah but just how everything's kind of come out 
over the course of the last week or so, I feel like the pressure is now more so. Like James Gunn and crew over the next couple of years, especially the first iteration, the first two or three movies is going to set the tone of yeah. what we're going to get over the next 10 years. And I pray to God that they deliver five-star bangers because, yeah. I mean, in one way, it's like, well, it's a good situation because what have you got to compare it to? Mostly just drizzle. Yeah, mostly really, really bad movies, right? Very true. Like they, they can only really go up. Exactly. That's Again, the thing, right? right? Like they can only really get better from here. The only thing is, is we are, we have higher expectations because it is James Gunn. And because of his track record, we, we're going to automatically expect premium elite level stuff coming out of this. And I don't know why you would, wouldn't would expect that. Yeah. And like he continues to deliver that. So I'm, I'm, I'm expecting it, but in like a, like I'm excited. You know what I mean? Like I'm very excited to see what happens going forward because- mm-hmm. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, people. There's there's definitely people that are going to be butthurt from this. Like for example, I've seen it too. Yeah, yeah. Like Zack Snyder fans and stuff like that. They're, yeah, they're hurting. They're yeah. hurting. There's going to be there's going to be like segments of the fan base. No one's. It's hard to please everybody. Yeah. Right. But but also I was even just thinking about some of the actors involved here. Right. All right. Cool. The Rock. Cool. You know you played Black Adam, but like you haven't really been that, that was your first movie in in the dceu as a comic book character yeah. so it's like if that was your one iteration and it didn't work out you're still going to go on to do you know a million different things right mm. henry cavill is an interesting one yeah i don't know if you've been watching the witcher on netflix over the last couple of years mm-hmm. i have i'm a big fan of it it's actually done really good well for netflix season three is on the cusp of releasing over the coming uh, holiday period and it's henry cavill's last uh portrayal as the witcher yeah right and he left the production and at the same time announced his return as superman yeah right and i just think did he kind of depart the witcher thinking all right i'm going to be committed to superman now yeah uh for the long term and now if that's not happening has he just almost kind of been left with empty hand and like he's left the witcher and he's not gonna get to play superman anymore yeah yeah Uh, you know what i i don't see why he has to be recast if I'm being honest. Like he is a he's a cool Superman. He is a good Superman. I just feel like the people that are like that have written his kind of story, directed his movies, haven't done him justice. It's not to take anything away from Henry Cavill's I still maintain Man of Steel isn't a shit movie. I think it's actually a pretty of all the movies that we got from the Zack Snyder kind of like um anthology of these, that is still my number one. If I had to like rank those movies, that's sure. still my number one, right? I just feel like there were other, you know, ingredients around him that didn't help him yeah, kind of yeah. really kind of become you know this generation's Christopher Reeve absolutely and I, I I don't see why this can't be a situation where it's just a whole new set of people that are kind of behind the scenes and if they can take a whole brand new direction with the same dude I don't see anything wrong with that as wasn't, a fan wasn't it just a couple of months ago where we were talking about oh Michael B. Jordan is rumored to play the yeah. first black Superman Absol- like all that all these people are gone yeah uh, everybody that was here for all that stuff they're all gone I don't like all the what ifs of like oh that would have been fun like mm. it's cool but it's like they're gone yeah you know? it, that, I'm very okay with all that stuff being mm-hmm. gone because like we have James Gunn moving forward and yeah. I trust that guy's vision mm-hmm. um, I will just quickly recap all the other projects that they had in mind that did essentially get cancelled first off Walter Hamada was reportedly long-range planning to do to bring back Henry Cavill as Superman and build up to Crisis on Infinite Earths as like this big Justice League level event. Mm. Apparently, uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, had uh, his own ideas for what was going to happen with Superman after Black Adam. So that was already going to be a clash regardless. So you don't even know whether either plan was going to happen. Also, Petty Jenkins was offered the chance to rewrite 
the script for Wonder Woman 3, but she declined. Apparently, <laughs> like some people read it, they didn't think that her treatment was the right direction that they were going in. And Jenkins basically told them that they didn't understand what she was trying to do and linked them a Wikipedia definition of character arc, which is... Uh, wow. <laughs> that seems very saucy as well. But uh, yeah, very interesting, right? Like why? I feel like Patty Jenkins somehow like had this Wonder Woman thing going and had Rogue Squadron going and then all of a sudden now it's like neither of them are really heading anywhere and uh, more so than that like I hated Wonder Woman 1984 that's one of the worst movies honestly like if like we've roasted that movie go back to the episode go go back to the episode but yeah it's just interesting that she doesn't want to like rewrite this thing and like she wants to continue the vision that people really weren't feeling you know maybe she had like an idea of like okay how can I salvage this third after people didn't fuck with the second one yeah maybe that was like her thought process but at the same time like I don't even mind Gal Gadot if I'm being honest I actually think she's a solid I think most of these are good casting choices right right the problem isn't that it's like just i don't like the movies mm. right and so like uh if you gave people like james gunn uh, who people who i trust with a creative vision that i trust with these same actors i'd be okay with it right i'm very okay with that so whatever they do with dc i think uh it's gonna be an interesting direction that they go with whatever they do do but uh, apparently they're gonna have a new event next week that will give us a little bit more clarity with james gunn so let's see what happens with that you want to know why I don't have a coterie of supervillains? Why? My coterie of supervillains is six feet fucking under. There, you see? Batman doesn't kill people. Because he's a pussy! He's a dark creature of the night! He's a jackass! Who wrestles with murderers dressed like clowns and throws them in prison! <laughs> so they can break out of prison and then murder more people! Real me this, how many people you think Batman's indirectly murdered by being too much of a candy ass not to kill these fools who clearly need to be smoked once and for all, you wrinkly, sharp hair looking dimension-infested fuck! Jesus. Next story I kind of want to talk about was the Vince McMahon of it all. Mm. I'm sure you heard about this, but mm. uh, just to recap, we had Rebecca Ballhouse. It was reported that Vince McMahon has told people that he intends to come back at WWE, saying that he got bad advice from people close to him to step down and that now he believes the allegations and investigations would have blown over if he had stayed. Sean Ross Sapp had also mentioned that numerous WWE higher-ups that he's spoken to in recent months have indicated that they want nothing to do with that and are happy with the current direction and he hasn't heard one person say that they're itching for a Vince McMahon return. Mm. Uh, As wrestling fans, as people who have like basically grew up in the Vince McMahon era of everything like it's interesting we we knew that he wasn't just gonna go away yeah you know what I mean we just wondered what was he gonna do next and if he's trying to come back this is like this is feeling almost like Trump trying to get reelected a little bit but like way less realistic yeah man I just don't understand like I'll be shocked like shocked if he came back yeah because so much has changed for the better number one the the actual product you know wwe as a product is better way better all the i enjoy it now yeah dude as a lifelong fan i stopped watching this thing Mm -hmm. like i was watching every single week voluntarily yeah and it they made me like question that to the point where i was like i'm done i just can't i can't even watch this habit i still have yeah 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 and then uh that's when i started switching over just completely watching AEW solo by itself but I feel like uh, they've finally got me back to the position where I'm still interested in the product again. Yeah. But also they've made so many executive changes, right? The whole hierarchy of how they operate backstage from an executive level has completely changed from the Vince McMahon era. Mm-hmm. And from everything that you hear, all the reports and all the stories, 
the wrestlers are happier, the executives are happier, people that work for WWE are, are happier on a day-to-day basis. It seems like a, a fun, happy place for everyone to collaborate and be creative and just to make the the whole product, you know, better in general across the board. Like even just the little, littlest things of like being able to call it wrestling and not sports entertainment, yeah. right? Everything has changed. And, you know, Triple H has really kind of put his stamp on the creative direction where everything is headed. There's better long-term storytelling. A lot of the um, wacky names are gone and people are kind of taking their original names or maybe even their real names. So there's so many things. And not to mention, he still has to deal with these allegations. Uh, he still has to deal yeah. with serious allegations and that hasn't played out. Yeah. Right? So... You know, even if you are thinking about trying to re- return in a professional capacity to WWE and do anything, maybe just take care of these serious, damning allegations that I I would imagine the WWE stockholders want nothing to do with as well. I think that's like an interesting thing about it all is like the fact that WWE is fine right now. Yeah. Right. Like they they lost Vince. Yeah. And they're they're fine. Yeah. They continued as business as usual. Triple H took over creatively. Vince and or uh, Stephanie and Nick Khan took over as co-CEOs. And as much as we thought that was going to be a weird thing, like it seems to be working. Everything seems fine. Like mm. you, you don't hear anything bad about any of the situations. So like I don't understand what the issue is. I think if people like if it was a situation where even let's say Vince McMahon came back and like stock numbers, like if we heard this news that Vince coming back would make those like the the stock today was affected by that news in a positive way. I can imagine them being like, huh, this is interesting. I can't imagine that happening. No. And apparently the stock has like been doing really, really well yeah. in Vince's absence. Yeah. And, and not only that, but on, on top of that, tonight we're about to get this Feist documentary that's about to come out based on all this stuff that's happened in the past few months. And uh, I can't imagine that's going to be a positive situation. Mm. So I'm very curious to the fact that this news came out and that Vice documentary is happening. I don't know how convenient that is, but it's massively convenient for the documentary at the very least. And on top of that, I'm very interested to see what happens in that documentary. And uh, maybe we can talk about that next week because mm. I definitely want to follow up on for this sure, at some yeah. point. Uh, next piece of news I got is just, I, I kind of just wanted to bring this up just to kind of have that pre-Avatar conversation. Yeah. But it's basically just Avatar The Way of the Water is tracking to make $525 million in the film's worldwide box office opening weekend crazy number obviously just mm-hmm. massive out of this world number yeah but uh I, more so i'm kind of just i just kind of want to get a sense like uh before we watch avatar with all this hype that's finally built up how excited are you next week to finally get a chance to watch this movie? i'm as hype as as i can be yeah to watch a movie it's james it's, cameron right it's james cameron it's, your guy. it's my guy it's my favorite filmmaker of all time and it's one of the biggest releases of the year. You know, one thing I did over the last seven days is I actually started to watch all the James Cameron interviews that stemmed out of, I think it was a London premiere. You know, when all these quotes start to kind of like go out and people spun a lot of these quotes in a different way. And I'm like, you guys are being really slimy here because if you actually go back and watch some of these two, three, four, five minute interviews, even with the, the stuff about Thanos, people are like, oh, he's bashing the MCU. No, he's not. Yeah, if yeah. you actually, and especially if you think about the person that's actually interviewing from comicbook.com, it's actually a fantastic conversation yeah, about special absolutely. effects in general. Exactly. I th- the way he praises comic book movies are pushing the genre forward is exactly interesting yeah yeah so i i urge everyone to kind of like maybe if you're put off by anything you've seen or heard about cameron through these kind of social media uh quotes or uh, bites go watch these kind of inter- interviews from the london premiere that will add a lot of context um because you know like 
it, it really helps kind of provide some you know um extra layers in terms of what he's trying to get across in some of these um these quotes but anyway um that's a moot point at this stage we're literally days away i'm watching it on thursday uh, opening night i'm gonna watch it again with you in imax on sunday i'm buzzing the fact that it's on track to get a half a billion dollars opening weekend as we kind of head into holiday season like this this movie is gonna make a stupid amount of money i'm watching it twice in its opening weekend yeah right i feel like there's a lot of people out there that are gonna be watching it at least minimum twice during its theatrical run mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um yeah i'm literally just I'm buzzing, especially with all the positive feedback that came out from the yeah. from the critics that watched it. So yeah, yeah, yeah I'm buzzing. Yeah. It seems like it's it's interesting because a few months ago I was like, man, it doesn't feel like there's any buzz for this movie, mm-hmm. but it seems like it's peaking just at the right time. Mm-hmm. This is great. This is we. What? You got a prescription for this? Yeah. Where is it? Uh. Where is it? It's 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 uh. Where? 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 Uh, I, 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 uh. Oh, oh, where? Where? I stick your ass, dear. You know that? For what? I, For what? Look at this! That's just not my cigarette. This cigarette weed! Well, it look like a cigarette. You better have glaucoma. I do. Jackie Chan basically confirmed that there are talks for Rush Hour 4, mm-hmm. right? Like, saw that the conversation online, a lot of it was like, I, I don't want a watered-down PC version. Like, obviously, like, people are getting used stupid language, but... Uh, it was basically like, I don't want, like, a woke version of Rush Hour right. now. But, yeah. like... I wonder how you would make a movie like Rush Hour, the comedy sensibilities of the 90s, and, like, how do you make a movie now with those guys, yeah. right? It's not like you're going to change the people who are, like, behind the scenes yeah. and, like, making the movie. Obviously, you're not going to have, like, Brett Ratner or something like that. But I'm curious to see how you take that franchise forward with those two. Can I be honest? It just smells like another payday for Chris Tucker and um, less so Jackie Chan, because I think Jackie Chan's been very, very busy yeah. in Hollywood. Chris Tucker, you know, was always like, right, you're going to pay me 20, 30, 40 million, right? And every every decade that I need a big payday, I'm going to come in, I'm going to make a Rush Hour, Rush Hour movie. Rush Hour 2 and 3 don't compare to Rush Hour, the original, right? They're all right, but they're not close to yeah, what yeah. the original was, right? Yeah, 2 is not the worst. I'm not saying they're, they're, they're bad movies, yeah, yeah. right? But they're nothing compared... Two's, I think 2 is still good. Not compared to the first, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? But again, more to my point, like he hasn't gone out and like branched out and like had this kind of like Eddie Murphy style career, yeah, yeah. right? Where all right, cool, I got Beverly Hills Cop, but I'm also doing you know Vampire in Brooklyn. I'm taking some risks, or I'm going to come back with a new franchise, Nighty Professor, or like it's literally been Chris Tucker is tied to the Rush Hour franchise in terms yeah. of the biggest payday you could possibly get to go back in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. That's all this kind of smells like to me. Um, I'm not that excited about it to be honest with you, and I completely agree. I think it's gonna be incredibly difficult for them to try and even come close to pushing the edge of comedy or action comedy. And you know, I don't, I don't even know how that genre or how they would you know be able to perform. Like, is this gonna be a theatrical release? Is it gonna be a Netflix? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see how they kind of navigate something like that. I have a feeling it's not gonna end up happening because mm. like I feel like we heard rumors about like rush hour three for like years and years and years and at this point like at their age how are you gonna do this movie right maybe is it gonna be a situation where like you try to continue the franchise and you get like some younger guys as like part of their team or something like that i don't know look at uh coming to america too yeah it was horrible it was really 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 bad Mm -hmm. right and i think eddie murphy still got beverly hills cop 4 coming out yeah yeah, yeah. like if you want to look at the the two different sides of legacy sequels that we've had in the last couple of years Coming to America 2 is the drizzle. It's the absolute shit. It's so bad. It's so far removed from the original yeah, in yeah. terms of being able to hit 
all the comedic kind of uh, notes that the first one hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the flip side, we've had, again, it's not comedy, right? But, you know, Top Gun Maverick is, I guess, going to be the go-to example from here on out in terms of what like, a legacy sequel can be. I feel like that's going to become the new, like, uh, benchmark. benchmark of, like, what you're hoping your, 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 your sequel can be yeah. at that point. Because I, I would hope that they would try to do something that would be... Uh, like obviously I'm not a big fan of Top Gun Maverick I'm not gonna go into that too much but like the like I think it's just interesting that I, I see the result of all this mm-hmm. right like there it's gonna be nominated for everything and like, yeah it's just like it's not only that but people loved it yeah right like culturally like everything about it it made money like everything about it is what you would hope for critically and commercially just one of the hits of the year huge dub mm. across the board right yeah. and it's just gonna be interesting to see how they, they see that you don't just have to have a shitty version that you can make you can actually make something that actually can be good and get like your fan base back in charge like back behind you and get excited for future movies now going forward if anything it's a kudos to tom cruise you can you can criticize him for whatever you want but he made sure that if he wanted to attach his name to a top gun sequel he was not going to let the fan base down and he was not going to let uh he's not he was not going to let a generation or in this case multiple generations of fans of the original down and yeah. he didn't yeah 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 and it's funny because i actually did one last thing i want to talk about in the new segment today was that uh i'm sure once the oscar nominations come out in a few weeks that we're going to be talking about that and we'll break it down and have our own discussion about it but i kind of wanted to just talk about the golden globes a little bit sure uh i only wanted to talk about just best picture mm. uh just they obviously separate it as two separate categories uh best picture musical or comedy or they also have Best Picture Drama. Mm-hmm. So uh, I kind of just want to tell you what they were. Just get your reaction off them, okay? Sure. So first off, for Best Picture Musical or Comedy, they have Babylon, which we still haven't seen yet. That's coming out at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Banshees of Incheren. They have Everything Everywhere All at Once. They have Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, and Triangle of Sadness. I was just happy, number one, that Everything Everywhere All at Once is getting nominated. And number two... Triangle of Sadness also got nominated. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And Knives Out. Yeah. And Knives Out, of course, of course. Glass Onion, which is fantastic. Yeah. Like, without having seen the other two, that's, I mean, if you just take those three movies, that's already a difficult choice to make. Yeah. Right? Um, Happy for them. Especially, probably especially everything, everywhere, all at once, only because of it. Like, we, we talked about this before. It came out early in the year yeah, yeah, yeah. and we the whole conversation this year is will it have momentum will it kind of come back up again into the conversation during award season and it looks like it is i feel like it is and i hope i hope it does continue to because like, yeah i'm still pulling for it if i'm being honest yeah like I, I still like as far as like my personal heartstring goes like yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm still hoping that movie ends up being like the big award season winner mm-hmm. for like this this year but yeah. like We'll see what ends up happening. We haven't even seen all the movies for this year, so yeah. like, let's, let's see what where it goes. But also for Best Picture for Drama, we have The Fablemans, Top Gun Maverick, Elvis, Tar, and Avatar The Way of the Water. Obviously, we're about to watch Avatar Way of the Water, yeah. and we haven't seen Tar yet, but uh, I'm curious that uh, I, it's probably validating that, number one, Elvis is there, yeah. Maver- uh, Top Gun Maverick is there. And also, like, as we probably expected, Fableman is there as well. Yeah, again, I think we've spoken about this uh, a lot, but I feel like this upcoming award season is going to be extremely difficult only because we've had a banner year. Mm-hmm. It's been such a fantastic year for movies. It's been, like, the ultimate comeback coming out of COVID. And I think there's going to be some really difficult choices to make. Like, we enjoyed Fableman's a lot. I know I enjoyed Top Gun uh, Maverick. I know that wasn't for you, but... 
the other movie that you mentioned there, Elvis. We both enjoyed Elvis yeah. a lot. Like that already is a difficult choice to make. I'm surprised. Like I don't see. Like there's obviously going to be like omissions of like movies we saw that we thought were fantastic. Like yeah. uh, like Empire of Light isn't in that conversation, and uh, like there's a bunch of them, right? Mm. And and it's gonna be interesting to see. Like cause I haven't got that thought process yet of like what my top ten movies are, and mm. I think we should definitely do that in a few weeks. But sure. it's gonna be interesting that to see what missed out on these nominations more so in the oscar conversation that's when i'm like more interested in who gets left off that best picture uh nominees situation there but uh yeah but that's everything for the news this week let's get into our movie this week guillermo del toro's pinocchio hello the wooden boy with the borrowed soul while you may have eternal life your loved ones they do not you never know how long you have with someone until they're gone. All right. So first off, John, what'd you think? Did you, I I think we kind of just went into this a little bit blind, not expecting too much. But uh, when I started kind of looking into what this movie was going to be, I got started getting really excited about it. Before we even get to the movie review, um, I have a question. Did you, have you had any experience watching any Pinocchio movies like the the original from 1940 the Disney yeah, yeah. version yeah, yeah of course that's my only experience with it I don't I didn't grow up with like a different version like that's it me too yeah that's my OG one like I remember I don't know if you got if you went through this we're obviously got a bit of an age gap between us but every Christmas you know the final kind of week of school like primary school this is not high school primary school they would roll out the big box television mm-hmm and like throw on a couple of like movies just before the holidays and the go-tos were always kind of like snow white and the seven dwarves and pinocchio really right and then just kind of growing up i'd I'd always watch pinocchio on tv as well and i haven't had any other experience with pinocchio i don't know if there's been a stage production i don't know even if there's been other versions of this movie you know what's funny earlier this year there was another pinocchio movie from zemeckis right yeah yeah, it was which is kind of wild how i don't know who owns the ip to pinocchio uh but the fact that two different studios and two different filmmakers end up releasing a pinocchio movie in the same year is actually kind of wild like one of you couldn't wait the next year right i mean like i would have been like wait next year you could drop this this isn't a time sensitive movie at this point yeah 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 but uh yeah, it's interesting that both of them dropped, and I heard like I still haven't seen that other one. Me too. I've heard bad things, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. right? And it's interesting that something like that is going to be compared to something like this because if I can, this is uh, this is what, like for me like maybe like the animation event of the year mm. if, I, if I if I think about it. Like, there's not really a Disney movie that stood out, stuck out to me or anything else that really stuck out to me in a way that this one did at this point. Well, the first thing that hits you and slaps you across the face with this movie is the fact that it's by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. And who has just an incredible resume of movies and he just loves creatures and monsters. Yeah. And he just has his own style when it comes to what, you know, creatures, humans and animals all look like. Yeah. And he kind of has this almost kind of like, I wouldn't say, maybe I call it a little bit dark, but it's very kind of not Tim Burton esque, right? But he definitely has his own style in I terms. I see what you mean. You know that, what I mean? There is like a link there, yeah, visually. Yeah, right? I totally understand that, and it's interesting because a guy like Yamo del Toro is like, like his imagination is so absolutely next level. Like yeah. there is, there's probably like nobody else in the world that has this guy's uh, vision and this guy's sensibilities. They're flawless. His sensibilities of what he wants is so specific, and it comes out looking fantastic every single time even though it's like the oddest thing you might have seen 
like when you think about like Guillermo del Toro, I always think about Pan's Labyrinth, the hands, like just thinking about that character and like how these characters shouldn't work mm. the way they do, but w- the way he presents them makes them feel like they should exist in this world that they do. And it's actually hilarious that we're doing Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio this week and we're going to do James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water next week Mm -hmm. because a lot of people may not know this, but James and Guillermo are boys Mm -hmm. and they've been boys since the early 90s. And in fact, it was Guillermo del Toro that actually gave the first public review with a tweet uh, a couple of weeks ago of Avatar 2. Right, so it's kind of like just a bit of a uh, kismet there that we're, yeah, we're yeah, doing yeah. them back to back here. Yeah, but, and two of the most like consistently creative and high level people ever. Exactly, right? Like always producing extremely high level content. Yeah. So, like I said, the first thing that slaps you with this movie is the fact that it's got Guillermo del Toro's style all over it. The second thing, and I think it kind of leans into what you just said there in terms of the animation event of the year, specifically stop motion animation. This is painstakingly difficult and it takes a long time to do. But it's actually had a pretty good track record at the box office. Like Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run. Again, these are from, you know, British filmmakers. Yeah. But to see Guillermo del Toro kind of bring it into the year 2022, the detail is just unreal. Yeah. With yeah. the sculptures and like, again, like I said, it's so painstakingly slow to do it. And uh, I think the result is uh, an emotional journey, a visually spectacular journey. I think it's a fresh take yeah. on the Pinocchio story. This mm-hmm. is not a like-for-like no, no, no. Uh, reprint of what we got from he, the Disney night. He changed the movie. story based on what he wanted to do because yeah. he thought the original villain the in, in the Pinocchio story wasn't strong enough, so he pivoted, Yeah, right? And, and one thing, uh, I, I kind of got lucky because I saw a quote walking into this movie before I even watched it, and it was, animation is, it's not just a genre, but it's an art form within itself, mm-hmm. right? And once I read that quote, I was like, oh, okay, cool, I want to know how to process this movie. That made me process it completely differently as well because mm-hmm. I wasn't just watching like, okay, cool, well, this is an animated movie. Like, it is absolutely that. It's the highest level of that. Yeah. But I, I was watching it as, like, just a movie. Yeah. Right? And it delivered so spectacularly in that way. But, like, I can I can understand because at the end of the day, when you're watching an animated movie, you start making connections to uh, other animation formats as well. Mm. And, like, for me, the biggest thing when I was watching this movie, the first five minutes, is first, Geppetto has a son in this one, and he loses his son, which is just a tragic way right off the box to, like open this movie and in my head i'm watching this opening scene and i'm thinking are they trying to outdo up in the first five minutes of like the most tragic first five minutes of a movie ever and uh it, it really is this like really sad and heartbreaking thing because you're watching this song that's so happy in this like life that this father and son have that's so happy and i'm like you just know that this kid's about to pass away so it's so tragic to watch yeah right it's heartbreaking and it's adorable at the same time yeah just so difficult to do but yeah. this master like accomplishes it in such a really special way yeah uh, that i'm just gonna lean in on that i found this to be emotional and also very funny yeah there yeah. Th- like there are some great like um beats throughout the entire film where i don't feel like i got bored i don't feel like i'm losing interest in terms of where we're going with this and because you kind of know immediately that this is a very different take on the Pinocchio story yeah. I didn't know what the destination was going to be exactly, I didn't yeah. know how they were going to end this movie and I didn't that know kept where they were going half yeah. the time right yeah. like half the time once once they started with that where it's like okay cool Willie had a son like I knew alright this is a flip yeah. so I have to pay attention more yeah. but once I realized the change that they were going in immediately I was pulled in yeah. so much more not only that but like 
like you mentioned, the animation is absolutely incredible and such a pleasant world that you get to kind of live in. And like, uh, it's just like kind of going through it. Like the whole time, I, like, I had a moment where I was like, is this all CGI or like how much of this is CGI? Because it feels like it's too perfect to not be CGI. And to like, uh, the cool thing is that when you do watch it on Netflix, they have this special like extra feature thing mm-hmm. and it kind of breaks down how they did it. And it's even more mind blowing than you could even realize when you first initially watch it so when you do get a chance to watch it go out your way and watch this as well because it really blows your mind of how hard of an effort stop motion absolutely is it's ridiculously hard it takes so long yeah these guys are masters but uh it's so interesting because we go through the story and the the difference of take is this uh, the difference of take of this is that first people are like what the hell is this is it a demon like they're in church and there's so much like religious imagery of all this kind of stuff and it's it's fun of like that a kid's movie takes itself so... Like, it should be a kid's movie, but it takes itself so seriously that, like, this is just an incredible movie within itself. Well, that, that's the other compliment I want to give it. Like, yeah. I, I felt like the the Disney 1940 Pinocchio is for kids. It's for kids, mm-hmm. right? This is for kids, but for adults as well. And yeah. I felt like that's what they've nailed more than anything else. They go parents, parents will enjoy this. Parents can get something out of this and they can have an experience watching this with their children. I wonder though, because the the conversation has to be different when you watch a movie like this with your kids because like you, they address things like fascism, right? Yeah. And like there's like fascist youth and they're sending a kid to school. He, uh, The interesting thing is like every time you see Pinocchio, he's kind of going through all these different lives yeah. and, and like they kind of have him like literally die sometimes and come back and then he lives a brand new life he'll die initially and then he comes back and he gets to go into the uh the circus or whatever yeah or become a puppet and then from there he dies and then he becomes a soldier and then he dies and he goes and off to like finally see his uh his dad or whatever but he has like these segments of actually living different lives and a point about the whole fascism thing, like that's probably going to be stuff that goes over the kids' heads. Yeah, they don't get a lot the, of this is. Yeah, but but that's where it's good for the, it's for the parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's what I meant. That's that's where like the adults in the room are like, ah, oh, I see what they're doing here. And they have great jokes too. Like even that joke when uh, Jiminy Cricket's about, like for kids, like they have that joke where uh, Jiminy Cricket is about to like sing a song, and then uh, Pinocchio is just like, I'm going to church, and he just smashes him into the wall or something. Like that's like an old like joke you would have seen in the original one, mm-hmm. like an old like hijinks three stooges kind of gag or something like that right also like how good is like just the performance of everybody yeah right like not just voice but like the way they move these characters around in such a way that like the models themselves are so emotive that's what i'm saying it's crazy it's like i've never seen such great detail especially with some of the more emotional scenes of the movie yeah where it's like yo this is stop motion animation and I can genuinely feel the expressions on the faces of what this character is going through, yeah. which is why I feel like they've just taken the history of stop motion animation and just kind of like leveled it all the way out, brought it to the the 21st century in a massive, massive way. Yeah. Where I feel like they just raised the bar here across huge, the board. Huge, huge. And, and even just story-wise, you get like Geppetto and what he's going through versus uh, the puppet master and what he's going through and them kind of facing each other as like the good and the bad and it's it's just really fantastic mm-hmm. uh jiminy cricket being sebastian is an interesting choice and i i always love jiminy cricket and uh pinocchio is just like the most hopeful character in the world like he's so blissfully naive like i just love that guy so much mm. right like i love that uh the wood sprites is one thing i quickly want to talk about 
is just because like of the imagery of life that they give like when we talk about how this isn't for kids and this is for like adults this is like life stuff that i was like floored by right the idea of like every time that he dies there's like this other guardian um they explained in that featurette that the death guardian is a sister of life which within itself is like an awesome metaphor the one thing that makes human life precious is how brief it is every time he dies he starts a new life like i mentioned and then he has this whole thing at the end where he breaks the rules and they're like well if you break the rules this is your last life right make the most of your life and then even in that moment you're like okay cool and then he dies again comes back again and uh he's given another life uh they have this thing where they kind of make you realize how much of a gift life is and then they kind of show that like geppetto passes away and sebastian passes away the monkey passes. everybody dies basically mm. and you kind of go through that with pinocchio in the end but for some reason it doesn't feel sad at the end right like where the death at the beginning was really like haunting almost yeah this one almost felt like hopeful that this person is like lucky enough to like go through this with these people and he's going to continue after the fact the morals and ethics and um just general story about the meaning of life is woven into this film fantastically well beautifully like you there's like easy takeaways yeah. it's, it's a good it's a good movie for kids to watch just to kind of if it's if it's hard to really make them understand this is the perfect movie in terms so, of like how brief life is and you only get one shot and yeah. all that kind of you stuff. You get to like have conversations with your kids that you never would have to be able to have with other movies or anything right. like that. Like I think this is a great conversation starter yeah. in like a philosophical way, getting your kid thinking in like very interesting ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like valuing life. I feel like as far as like a high level film goes, this is like the least corny life affirming movie that i've maybe ever seen Mm. right like i walked away with this movie just like it's not preachy at all yeah but at the same time you kind of walk away with like a sense of like oh shit like you should appreciate life to such a degree because of all these reasons presented in this beautiful movie and it's done so well because pinocchio is a blank board yeah right he's we're learning we're going on this journey with pinocchio yeah but like you said they don't hit you over the head with it all in one scene. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. drip fed to you throughout all of his experiences, and every time he dies, he's learned something new, mm. right? And every time he has an interaction with different people, he's learned something new. Yeah, and ultimately, when he has to make difficult decisions, you're right there with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like always Guillermo del Toro with these outsider characters, yeah. crushing it. And um, one thing I think that like captures perfectly is like the idea of imperfect fathers and imperfect sons, mm. and like that encapsulates everything for me because it's like all these characters are just going through stuff they all make these massive mistakes geppetto calling him a burden uh pinocchio making his mistakes along the way but the whole time is like they just understand that they're accepting of each other Mm. and like even though you're tripping in that moment that's what like cricket kind of helps them with is like even though your dad is tripping in the moment you know just understand that like that's not what he actually means and like that's a beautiful lesson to get across for like a parent to understand with their children Mm -hmm. i love this movie yeah if you can't tell yeah uh, (laughs) in this world you get what you give remember and this boy gave why gave everything he could uh yeah let's get into some of our categories as far as best character goes who you got for this i went with cricket i really really enjoyed you mcgregor's performance as cricket um, I think he is involved in maybe the funniest scenes of the whole movie. And yeah, I just really enjoyed going on this kind of journey with him because it almost starts with him in, in many ways as well in terms of how he, what he's dealt with and what he has to do. 
Um, and then it kind of flips to Pinocchio, and yeah. then we kind of go the, through the Pinocchio journey, but ultimately come back to cricket as well. At yeah, the end. yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's it's hard to like have a flop with this best character thing because yeah. all the characters are so well written. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even like on one side, sentimentally, like I lean towards like Geppetto and Pinocchio as like my choices because mm-hmm. they're like they're so loving and they're mm-hmm. just like the best characters, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, when I think of performance and like I put on my like my brain of like who the hell killed it as like a voice actor and like what character did they like animate the best I really have to go with the puppet master Count Volp mm-hmm. like that guy is so good mm-hmm. he's so sinister and like it's weird how uh at no point, I'm not like scared of that character or anything like that. Like that, they never get like fear across as it, but like they get across how skeezy he is, yeah, so well, right? And it's Christoph Waltz that voices him, and it's just like he absolutely crushes it. He's just fantastic across the board. Mm. Uh, what about as far as uh, best scene? We got, you know what? When Cricket uses his wish to bring Pinocchio back to life right at the end of the movie, you know what happened? I completely had forgotten that Cricket had a wish. Me too. (laughs) And this is a credit to them because you know that right at the beginning of the movie, he's granted that wish in exchange for kind of just teaching Pinocchio. But then you forget about it. And and they do a good job of making you forget about it or kind of take you on this wild, fantastic journey. But by the time we get to the end where that that wish is so crucial to bringing Pinocchio back to life, for me, I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? He's dead. How's he going to come back to life? What's going to happen next? Oh my God, Cricket has the wish and he'll use it. Brilliant. Like again, a great job of making me forget that he had the the, the wish in his back pocket and then the way he delivers it and kind of uses it to bring Pinocchio back to life was just great. It's great. When I watch those scenes of when he dies and he gets to experience that like afterlife or whatever that is, mm-hmm. uh, that those scenes end up being my favorites, right? Just because of like what I get from them. Mm-hmm. But I was also thinking as far as like animation goes, the scene where the monkey is kind of just running around the city, they do such an incredible job of making that city feel huge yeah. and like vast and beautiful. And the way they animated that is like as good an animated scene I can think of, period. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely gorgeous. But mm-hmm. uh, last thing as far as star ratings, though, zero being the worst, five being the best. Where's this movie ended for you? I gave it a four out of five. I really enjoyed it. I think it's uh, great that it's on Netflix because it's right before the holidays. It's accessible to most homes. Yeah. Go out of your way to watch it. If you've got kids or nieces and nephews, this is a great family watch. Yeah. Everything, uh, sorry, everyone will get something out of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think it's one of my favorite animated movies of 2022 as well. I think it is my favorite animated movie of the year. I have to think about it. But yeah, absolutely. I think like as far as like what stands out the most, this absolutely does. It's also a late contender period of one of the best movies I think I saw all year. It's just fantastic. I went with a 4.5 out of 5. I just think it's such a strong showing for Guillermo. He's just such a master, man. That mm-hmm. guy is just so good at creating worlds and having like weird characters that you really care about. And yeah. I just always, and even like, uh, I remember when Shape of Water came out. And like, I'm sure Shape of Water isn't for everybody just based on the genre it is. Yeah. But I absolutely love like, everything he's been doing in the past couple of years that guy is just knocking it out of the park i don't know if you saw nightmare alley uh last year but that's a bit of a sleeper mm-hmm. um it kind of 
you know fell under the radar a little bit yeah, yeah. but go out of your way to watch that that was his kind of big release last year yeah. and um yeah that's another great gdt movie from the last couple of years i remember he had like something else that came on netflix to curiosities and cabinets or something like that i definitely want to he has a lot of stuff that recently came out that i still have to check out as well mm-hmm. that's everything as far as pinocchio but last thing i got is uh let's get wrecked our weekly recommendation segment gentlemen can you hit me with sandu speak this week absolutely i binged a brand new show over the last seven days on amazon prime the peripheral so westworld which is actually one of my favorite shows over the last kind of three or four years got cancelled uh tragically uh, a couple of months ago i was a bit upset about that um but it's christopher nolan's brother jonathan nolan and lisa joy they are just incredibly intelligent people and they love science fiction they love adapting novels and stories they were the mastermind creatives behind westworld and this is another project that they've been involved with so like i said if you are a fan of of westworld with westworld cancelled this fills that void if you like deep sci-fi which kind of really keeps you on your toes the peripheral is for you it also by the way has a very interesting and fresh take uh, on time travel eight episodes it's it's set in the states as well as london it's set in the near not too distant future in the very far distant future and uh yeah i really enjoyed it and uh, it's it's a nice um table setter for more seasons and i hope we get a season two so yeah there's my recommendation the peripheral on amazon prime awesome um that's awesome for me i am going with uh the garden of words i wanted to pick an animated movie just because that we were going with Pinocchio and I'm just thinking of like this felt like for me like a slice of life kind of movie in Mm. a way just because it was it was absolutely like an adventure that you go on with Pinocchio but the world that he created it made me feel pleasant right Mm. it made me got to like we got to like just chill in like whatever places that they were in especially in those early scenes when you get to kind of just chill in that town that's kind of what I kind of remember from the movie and uh, I just love slice of life anime movies in general. So Garden of Words is just like this massively pleasant movie. It's only 46 minutes. It's really short. But yeah, just just it's like a similar feeling to having like a good talk with somebody when it's like raining outside. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just a very pleasant movie. You get to just kind of it's a cozy experience of a movie. And it's it's really interesting to see two different characters in two different stages of their life, but they're facing similar issues of maturity, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it's it's interesting to see like this kid kind of interact with this older woman, and they kind of just go through their stuff, and they have these conversations that they keep coming back to, and you kind of get you get a lot out of it. It's one of those kinds of movies. It's really great. But go out of your way. It's called The Garden of Words. It's fantastic. But yeah, that's everything for this week, gentlemen. Where can anybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Hey, listen. Do us, do us a favor. 20 seconds is all it takes. Rate and review us. It honestly goes a long way on helping our show get found by new audiences. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.